Welcome to Untold Physio Stories, a podcast that informs and educates by connecting you to rehab industry leaders who share their candid successes and failures in business and practice. Welcome back to another awesome episode of Untold Physio Stories podcast. I'm your host, Dr. E, with the Eclectic Approach, Edge Mobility System, Modern Manual Therapy, uh, Modern Rehab Mastery, our new online mentoring program. My co-host, Dr. Andrew Rothschild of the Eclectic Approach to Modern Patient Education cannot be here today, but I have a special guest, one of the few I follow on Instagram, Dr. Molly Parker, and I think she has a story that needs to be heard. So I'll let her introduce herself, and then she can tell her story. Yeah, thanks for having me. Um, So my name is Molly Parker. I'm a physical therapist. I had graduated in 2010 and landed my dream job in a small outpatient manual clinic. It was great. We had about 40 minutes per patient. It was the way physical therapy was meant to be practiced. And we used to treat a lot of the funky sensitive nervous systems, difficult cases in town and chronic pain on top of the standard ortho. So I got a really good introduction to how to do collaborative care and how to kind of work with these nuanced type of cases. And then I led into concussion from personal experience. I was, let's see, In 2011, I was on a crowded street corner with a group of friends and a cab driver went into the road or sorry, went into the sidewalk and hit me and several other people. And I remember at the time getting off the hood of the car and thinking, well, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. And, you know, grabbing the back of my head and had a huge goose egg and then was helping other folks injured in the accident. There was a gal pinned between uh, the building in the car. And so I'd stopped, helped her once everything, the, you know, the paramedics started to come. I went to help a girlfriend in the bathroom and then I just forgot everything that had happened. She said, I looked at her and I asked if something bad had happened. So they made me go to the emergency room and I was so irritated at the time because I, you know, was a student loan, like heavy person Um, but I went to the ER, which was the right decision. And I had a CT scan, which was fine. And they x-rayed my legs and those were fine too. Um, and I remember feeling really lucky. I felt like I got hit by a car, but I felt very, very fortunate, all things considered. And I had really no idea what concussions could be. I didn't know what post-concussion syndrome was. And very, very quickly I went, you know, I took a day off work, went back too soon and, Within about two weeks, my symptoms really hadn't gone away and they'd kind of gone from bad to worse. And for me, it started with very severe headaches and the headaches, just as they would get bad enough that I would, you know, want to go in to see someone, they'd go away for a couple of days and then they'd come back. And eventually it got to the point where they were there all the time, um, 24 seven. I started to, I was very cognitively compromised at the time, which I didn't realize, um, lots of memory problems, difficulties following conversations, feeling dizzy. Uh, I'd forget how to put on my shoes. I'd kind of, it was almost like you'd sleepwalk and you'd come to and you'd have one shoe on and then you'd have to talk yourself through how to put the other one on. Um, And I started going from, you know, person to person to from a 
yeah, like a family physician to a physical therapist to acupuncture to any you know functional medicine, anyone I could see, and no one really knew what was wrong with me. Um, we knew it was from the accident, but no one knew what post-concussion syndrome was. No one knew that concussions could last. Um, I didn't know that. And so it ended up being this two-year journey where I basically kind of wasted away. I started to get very severe neural tension in my left side. That got very, very weak. Um, I started to lose my working memory more and more. Um, I didn't sleep at all. I had horrible insomnia, horrible headaches. Uh, the neural tension in my left side was so bad that if I were to straighten my arm, I had nausea 10 out of 10 for like two weeks straight. Um, I started getting really emotional where I would cry for no particular reason or just very, very easily, like the wind blew and I would cry. Um, and yeah, no one really knew what to do. So by two years, I couldn't feed myself, couldn't dress myself. I was barely functioning. I'd wear the same pair of pants to work for like three days in a row and I'd have mascara on one eye. Um, and eventually, uh, lost my job because I couldn't keep up with it anymore, which was devastating. Went home to family, um, feeling very financially taxed and feeling very, uh, judged because nobody really acknowledged its existence and went home for a month, slept for about 16 hours a day, tried to do a little therapy there. Again, really nobody knew. We, none of us knew what we were doing (laughs) looking back. And so I went back about a month later and tried to do home health, telling myself that I would ease myself back in and all would be well and good. Um, that didn't go well. I went downhill again very, very quickly. Um, and then it got to the point where at about three years, everything just hit the wall where, um, my vision got significantly worse. I couldn't read. I couldn't write. I couldn't drive. I was barely dressing myself. I have what I know now was really severe autonomic dysfunction. So anytime I was upright, my heart rate was probably in the two hundreds and I would get close to passing out multiple times a day. Um, and this whole time, no one really acknowledged its existence. I could get people to understand the headaches part, but no one seemed to get it. I would say fatigue and they thought I meant, you know, the fatigue that a healthy person would experience or that I was getting older. Not that I could barely stand up or take a shower or I would have to take an hour break between putting on my shirt and my pants because the fatigue was horrific. Um, so that at about three years, I finally met one person who in the last ditch effort, because I, the medical bills had completely bled me dry. I was completely desperate. And I reached out to this one woman and was like, look, this is all I have. I know it doesn't meet your fees, um, but I'm willing to work really hard. And this is my story, blah, blah, blah. And she was the first person who really understood concussion. So she introduced me to a lot of the things that I had not yet known about. And ultimately ended up being one of the first people to connect me to other people in the community. Uh, Long story short, I ended up having to move home in about three and a half years. Um, At that point, I was completely bed bound. Um, I couldn't look at a screen for more than a few seconds. I couldn't read at all, couldn't write, barely dress myself. I was having what were either autonomic, like fainting episodes or seizures, we're not really sure, um, daily. I could barely be in... I couldn't be in a crowded environment. I couldn't be in a grocery store. I could barely follow a conversation. Uh, I had a severe movement disorder throughout my entire body where it would either shake or I would just collapse. Like it would be completely flaccid. 
Um, I had some personality changes. I mean, you name it, like whatever system it was, it went wrong. And thus started the last what's now been four years of getting to people who actually know what they're doing and undoing all of those problems. So it was heavy visual problems, heavy vestibular problems. I had the most involved movement disorder that UCLA had ever seen, and they see like the weirdos. So I eventually ended up starting to chip away with certain people. And then at about five years, ended up at an intensive clinic in Utah where most of my speech and my personality came back, but my movement stuff got significantly worse. So then it ended into another year of kind of a chain of people where I eventually had two people suggest Dr. Nancy Bill, who is out of San Francisco, and she does all the um, movement disorder protocol type stuff. She does a lot of the sensory motor processing and ended up meeting her at a conference. And she was just going to give me her two cents and see what she could find. And that conference fortunately ended up finishing early. So I went early and shared my story with everyone. And in the audience, there was one of the lead therapists with the UCLA movement disorder team, a woman named Erin, who I just adore, um, who works with reactive physical therapy in LA. And she was the first person that was like, I've seen that. I know what to do. We treat people like you all the time. Like you should come see us. So I did. And it ended up being, they were the first people at that point. It was, I was six years in that recognized what the movement disorder was and had any sort of treatment options for me whatsoever. Um, so I responded very, very well. So within about a year, I'd improved significantly. I went back last February, intending to just kind of finish up, particularly with my eyes and my jaw and my neck. Um, and it wasn't responding quite like we anticipated. So I ended up at a functional neurologist who was kind of able to pinpoint down the last of the few things that seemed to interconnect. Um, did a few months with him, kind of made progress, still really struggling. And then this last January, I went to one in Oregon who specifically specializes in post-concussion syndrome and movement disorders, where we were able to really narrow down the last three specific areas of my brain. So I probably had about 30 areas that were um, severely affected. And now we're down to about three. So we've chipped away at it pretty good. Um, and so now it's like my left olif, my left cerebellum and left midbrain type stuff. By the end of the week, we'd come to the conclusion that the dystonia in my jaw is a more of a myoclonic type dystonia. So it's seizure like firing. And the working theory is that my caudate nucleus is not able to stabilize because it has that seizure-like activity. And that if we can get that to calm down, which we're going to do through treating uh, the dystonia in my jaw, then that area can stabilize. And theoretically, we would be able to treat the remaining problems. And they anticipate that I could still make a full recovery um, by the end of the year. So I was eight years as of February 12th. And so hoping that this year will be the year that I finally kind of chip away at it, but it's been, it's been one heck of a journey. And it's one of the ones I tell people where I'm not an example of somebody who had a really severe concussion right off the bat. I'm an example of a very poorly managed case and the effects that that can have on someone. So now while I finish my recovery and can't, um, 
kind of show up in the way I would want to for this community. I would be love to be doing some teaching and courses and stuff like that. Um, so instead, I've done social media type things because it allows me to work on my health and reach other people in hopes that they don't turn out like I did. Um, because it was just, I mean, it was misinformation over and over and over again. And I've seen 80 healthcare providers. So it wasn't for lack of trying, wasn't for lack of motivation. I mean, it's really, these are very treatable injuries when they're managed properly. And I'm a case of someone whose case was managed just terribly. But also, I think someone where we can look at neural rehabilitation and realize the way we thought things were for the neurologic populations, quite frankly, isn't. Um, you know, you hear that you don't get better after two years. All my recovery took place mostly after five years. Um, so I think it just really speaks to if we give people the proper input and we address that whole body perspective and persistent cases, that the brain can really make some incredible changes. So that is so that's a, my story. That's a really amazing and heartbreaking um, story. And gosh, every time I have someone like you or Jess Schwartz on the podcast, I always think I have no idea what I'm doing with a concussion patient. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, yes, I know. Don't. And, um, you know, yeah. I, I had a, a, a few, one woman in particular, when I was very early on, and I was just the manual therapist who knew everything, you know, and I just was... Mm -hmm. cracking people left and right and just having all kinds of success that I thought that that no one mm -hmm. else would have and this one woman in particular she it was a typical kind of no fault at least in, in New York you know like a um, an MVA no fault meaning that you you in, mm -hmm. in in New York state at least we have um it's no one's fault when someone gets hit by a car so both insurance companies pay and then that's why it's called no fault so a no fault case um, you know, eventually when you can prove fault through police reports and eyewitnesses and everything, the one insurance company goes after the other, but initially it's mm -hmm. like two years of both in, uh, of your insurance company paying, and then they go after the other person's insurance company if they even have it. So, you know, your typical kind of, when you say no fault, it's like, oh, these cases mm -hmm. never get better. Um, even as, you know, shown in like chronic pain or whiplash, um, research, it's just like, for whatever reason, they just, mm -hmm. they don't improve with or without litigation. You just think it's litigation. And I just thought mm -hmm. this woman under my care, she would get better. She would get worse. She'd get worse. Mm -hmm. And then she just got worse and worse and worse and worse. And I, you know, I had no empathy mm -hmm. and I could just, I I could just easily see myself as a new grad thinking like this is like, you know, I'd so get so downhearted when she would appear on my schedule. And I would just think like, man, you know, like her, mm -hmm. her, her, her ability as a mother and a wife and everything like this woman is she's really falling apart. I can't do anything for her. And I, I didn't know whether it was just due to my lack of mm -hmm. skill or, mm -hmm. but now I just think she's just another person who, I don't, I don't even know if she ever got the appropriate care. You know, I, I mean, she eventually. Mm -hmm. What yeah, I will ahead. say. No, that's fine. My story's over. I sucked it. Oh, no, I was going to say what my I... Sucked it. That's, that's the end of my story. <laughs> I was to say, what I will say is I saw... <laughs> um, is that, you know, I saw so many people and I don't fault the folks that just tried their best and came up short whatsoever. Um, I think for these people feeling like heard and believed and someone just being like, gosh, I don't know, is okay. The, the tricky ones were the people where 
you know, I'd see someone and that it was my fault or I wasn't trying or it was a character thing or if I wasn't getting better, it must be psychological. Those were the people that really kind of negatively affect the recovery. So I think for healthcare providers that are like, you know, I just, I didn't know what to do. And, or they're looking back and thinking like, oh, that's what that was. Um, I think we're all doing the best we can. And it's one of those things that now that we know better, we can do better. Um, right. Well, so I yeah, hope you certainly teach sense. courses one day and I hope to someday feature you in courses. <laughs> so that would be great. Yes, great. I'm dying to do uh, a foundational course. That's great. I have it kind that's of great. I know that down. last time I even reached out to you, you basically said you were unable to do a webinar or um, to reach back out in so many months. And, you know, it just is, doesn't mm-hmm. even occur to you because we just see you on mm-hmm. Instagram and I just think, oh, you know, she's better now and she's posting on Instagram and she leads this community, which is mm-hmm. obviously very needed for, you know, like people who are suffering from this yes. and can't find any help. Um, and it and it just kind of hit me like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, she's still working through this. And even right when I reached out to you to go on the podcast, I think maybe about a month yeah. ago, you were still seeing a specialist, right? And you just talked about that, right? Seeing someone in mm-hmm. January. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Right now I'm in functional neurology. I'm in endocrinology. And then I'm seeing a TMJ dystonia specialist. Wow. So I still rehab. Yeah. Most I'd of like day. to have you so on for part two, though. My days. Yeah. Oh, no. Go ahead. So they anticipate yeah. about. Only because when, you, when you're just okay. like, oh, uh, the UCLA, <laughs> no, under fine. the care of the UCLA PT, I got significantly better. And I just think, what did they do? Right. Well, that's part two. We'll yes, save that for part it was two so because cool. you would nerd then, out on you know, it pretty for, hard. For when you were in Colorado and you said, yeah. oh, my. <laughs> My speech and personality came back pretty much, uh, but my movement got much worse. I I also just think, what did they do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Right. That, yeah. Because I, I mean, at this too. point, in my career, twenty years in my career, it's not like I've. I always say this. It's not like I've seen everything there is to know about PT. I just feel like I'm not learning anything when I take a traditional PT course, which is why mm-hmm. I have only done things like nutrition and mindfulness and sleep mm-hmm. recovery and a lot of the things you talk about too, because it's because it's really just important mm-hmm. for life, so but also important. just for people yeah. who aren't recovering. It's not like there's a recipe for people who aren't recovering. It's just mm-hmm. that they can do a lot of things to make totally. their ecosystem much healthier and reduce inflammation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, yes, because totally. it's interesting to me and I just feel like I don't need to know another technique. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't need to know another assessment. Yeah, it's like, it's these, uh, yeah, yeah. It's really like, it's the thought process that's different. And the concussions for healthcare providers are pretty cool because, I mean, it is your high level ortho, it's neuro and it's vestibular and it's all combined. And it's having that like interdisciplinary multi-systems approach and everything interacts with each other. And so they can be a bit overwhelming at first, but if it's something that people really get into and they really commit to, not only can they make just tremendous changes in people's lives, but I think understanding the human body in that way and critically thinking through it in that way goes into so many different cases, especially like your chronic like orthopedic cases and stuff like that. And it's just a totally different way of thinking and a different way of what I learned in school. And it's really exciting. 
I think. All right. So basically, basically, if you're listening to this podcast and you have some sort of concussion or TBI or MBA patient here, you're getting nowhere with, they probably, I, you know, one of my biggest things I teach in my courses is that you need to know your leash. You need to know your limit of visits where you refer out and hopefully this person gets help. Um, because really there's, there's diminishing returns and mm-hmm. there's very, like, mm-hmm. honestly ask yourself, when was the last time you hit a home run with a patient that you were getting nowhere with two or three months in? It's, it's very rarely going to happen. And if it happens, it's probably just due to time and recovery, not due to anything yeah. you were doing because you re- you literally mm-hmm. had so much time to make a significant change in them. Mm-hmm. So where can people find you on social media? Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, I'm on social media. So I'm on Instagram and Facebook, uh, Instagram much more than Facebook at Molly Parker PT. And there's also an email list that you can sign up for. I don't do a lot right now because writing is still um, kind of a bear, but I do send out you know links to podcasts and um, there's a brain health summit coming up in awesome. March. Awesome. We'll, well, we'll have you back that. on sometime in the near future when you're ready, because I certainly would like to hear about some of the treatments Um that you've gone through and especially the, the PT ones, because I probably have a PT, most of a PT audience. All right. Mm-hmm. Awesome. So thanks mm-hmm. for coming on Molly. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So if you like this podcast, make sure to give us five star rating on iTunes. Remember you can now subscribe to untold physio stories, go to untold stories.com. All the subscriptions are there. You can subscribe to us on Stitcher, Spotify, Google, iTunes, um, Google Play is going away, but you can listen to us on all your Google Home devices. Uh, You can even say, hey, Siri, listen to the latest episode of Untold Physio Stories podcast, and it will start playing as long as you subscribe. So make sure to also check out the Eclectic Approach courses. You can go to theeclecticapproach.com. We have all our courses online there. Uh, Dr. Andrew Rothschild, Cal Coffey, and I have Modern Rehab Mastery, our new exclusive, uh, we think, unbeatable online mentoring program. And All my products are on edgemobilitysystem.com. I hope to see you at a live Eclectic Approach course soon. Make sure to subscribe via email through themanualtherapist.com so you don't miss any of our awesome blog updates and you get exclusive Edge Mobility System system discounts. Wow, man, my outro is getting too long. I should just pre-record this. And you guys have an awesome day.